Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, November 28th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Protests in China pose the biggest challenge to the Communist Party since the Tiananmen Square demonstrations. Protests in Iran continue, but many workers and businesses are reluctant to join in. And the EU is struggling with another influx of refugees. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Protests in China's largest city escalated yesterday. Police in Shanghai struggled to disperse large crowds who gathered in the streets to vent their anger at the government's strict anti-COVID policies. Our correspondents call it the most brazen challenge to the Communist Party's authority in decades. The FT's Tom Hale says it started Saturday evening, and it began as a vigil for victims of a fire at the other end of the country, the faraway city of Urumqi, and then it turned into a protest against zero-COVID policies which were partly blamed for the deaths in this fire in Urumqi because the perception online was that the fact the city was locked down limited people's ability to leave the building. So this has morphed into broader protests around the country. Tom, what did you see in Shanghai? It's difficult to describe it as a protest. It, what I observed was more large groups of people, a large gathering of people, mostly standing quite quietly observing the situation and more and more police officers arriving and more and more people arriving. For the several hours I was there, the situation escalated quite significantly. I wouldn't say it was persistently violent at any point, but the tensions would occasionally bubble over uh, and someone would be arrested or taken away by the police and people would shout, release, release him, release him, release them. Now, you also reported on a simultaneous protest online involving blank pieces of paper. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Tom? Yeah, so um, there's been a social media trend in recent days where people have used the expression white paper, blank pieces of paper, which signifies censorship. The idea being that anything you wrote on that paper would be censored anyway on China's heavily controlled social media platforms. So people at this site where I was at in Shanghai were... Um, taking out pieces of white paper, pinning them to trees. The police would rip them down. That would cause a massive escalation. At one point, um, several sheets of white paper fell from some tall building and the crowd erupted into cheers. So it sounds like these protests aren't just about the super strict COVID policies. It sounds like they're about broader political frustrations. So a lot of what happened in Shanghai was related to pent-up anger and frustration over a 10-week lockdown that occurred in this city in the spring. So that, I think, has had a very deep psychological impact across the country. And what we're seeing now after these protests is people beginning to reject those rules. People are told that they are locked down in their compound or their building in other cities in China, Beijing, Shenzhen, we've heard as well, are marching to the gates of their compound and essentially overwhelming through their mere presence alone, overwhelming the people on the gates to demand that the lockdown is lifted. So if that keeps happening, then the zero COVID policy, which is currently one of the world's most significant political events, it's had a profound, and and economic events, it's had a profound effect on the Chinese economy. It's looking for now like it may be much more difficult to enforce those kind of very strict policies, which ultimately depend on the consent of the people. Tom Hale is the FT's Shanghai correspondent.
Iran has, in recent weeks, launched missile attacks at Kurdish opposition groups based in neighboring Iraq. The reason? Tehran blames them for supporting the anti-government protests in Iran. These protests started in September, after a young Iranian woman of Kurdish descent was arrested by Iranian police and died soon after. Our Tehran correspondent, Najmeh Bazorgmir, has the latest on these historic protests. The crackdown is more brutal in uh, border provinces such as Kurdistan in the northwest, which is home to ethnic Kurds, as well as Sistan Baluchistan province in southeast, where uh, ethnic Baluchis live. The regime is far tougher in those areas on fears of separatist movements rather than in major cities and other parts of the country. Najmeh, you reported that many businesses and also many workers are still reluctant to join the protesters, who are mostly students and other young people that want more personal freedoms. What is stopping more people from joining in? Life is already difficult for many people with an inflation of above um, 40% and high unemployment. While a great number of Iranians sympathize with protesters, they're still not ready to pay the price for the causes of this movement, Many workers live on daily wages, and if they don't earn money, their families and children may starve. Businesses have the same concern that many Iranians have now, that they have no idea what would happen next if the Islamic Republic is overthrown today. They have no image of what is on the other side of the fence, fearing their lives could worsen if the ruling system is overthrown. And what is the government doing other than trying to hold back open protests? The government has been increasing wages of workers and salaries of civil servants, clearly to keep them away from protesters. How long this can last is open to speculation. Let's not forget that the Islamic Republic is also struggling with the toughest U.S. sanctions and its capacity to splash money is limited. Najmeh Bazorgmer is the FT's correspondent in Tehran. There's a new surge of migrants coming into Europe. This year, EU asylum applications are up 58%. The FT's Brussels bureau chief, Sam Fleming, says politicians aren't on the same page when it comes to handling this. He joins me to talk more about it. Hey, Sam. Hi there. Sam, you're in Brussels, which is the capital of the European Union. Can you tell me what you're seeing there? Yeah, sure. Especially around the the government uh, buildings which deal with uh, refugees and asylum seekers, you're just seeing a lot of people uh, either um, homeless or living in tents or or lining up outside buildings and um, for for overnight waiting for their opportunity to uh, to lodge a claim for asylum and then often not actually managing to get into the building. So, Campaigners are saying that the situation in terms of homelessness in Brussels uh, is is worse than it was even back in 2015, 2016. Now, what's behind this influx and, and where are the migrants coming from? We're talking in this particular context not about uh, asylum seekers 
and refugees coming from Ukraine who are dealt with uh, under a separate system. But we're talking more about people who've come from the Middle East, uh, from Afghanistan, from parts of Africa, claiming asylum. The situation in other countries is partly, uh, according to some authorities, to do with uh, economic pressures, uh, political pressures, which can vary from country to country. But also it's worth remembering that the relaxation of travel measures and, and restrictions on border crossings related to COVID, that has led to more people attempting to get into the EU. How are EU states coping with all the arrivals? In your story that you wrote about this, you cite Germany and Belgium in particular are having a tough time here. Yeah, I think it's fair to say some have been more successful than others. If I focus, for example, on Belgium, there are a number of uh, problems. First of all, an, a lack of shelter, inadequate housing. There are also political uh, pressures within the Belgian government coalition. Not everyone wants to send positive signals when it comes to uh, the availability of housing for refugees. There's also existing pressures from the arrival of all the Ukrainian uh, refugees, which many localities feel they, in a sense, they've dealt with a large refugee crisis already. They don't really want to be setting up new facilities to house more people. So Sam, do you see this being a divisive political issue the way it was back in 2015 and 2016 during that refugee crisis? Yes, I think there are signs that this is going to become an increasingly divisive issue in the EU once again. We already saw a standoff between Italy and France over migrants quite recently with the under the uh, the regime of the new right-wing prime minister Giorgio Meloni, but it goes back to a long-standing issue in the EU which is there aren't in the, in the view of many equitable processes to ensure that member states fairly share the burden of uh, arrivals of asylum seekers and migrants in their countries. And we still are really in the middle of a debate, not towards the end of it, as to whether greater solidarity is possible between EU member states and when it comes to tackling migration. Sam Fleming is the FT's Brussels bureau chief. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.